Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Hey, so good morning. We're going to read a passage of scripture from the book of Mark chapter 6 this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and give you a precursor that this morning's sermon hopefully is going to be a good sermon, but I am going to leave it somewhat unfinished. Um, I'm going to leave it somewhat unfinished because you're going to have a little bit of homework. I know it's summertime and you're not supposed to have homework during the summer because y'all got things to do and you got the sun to lay out in, but you're going to have some homework to do this week. Um, So that's uh, already go ahead and prepare yourself. Uh, Mark chapter 6, a little bit of background, and then we're going to read starting um, in verse 48. So Jesus has uh, just came upon this crowd. Actually, the disciples have returned uh, from doing a lot of ministry. Great things were happening, uh, so much so that they got so busy that the apostles didn't even have time to eat. I mean, man, they were busy. They were, they were doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, Jesus sees this huge crowd. Uh, they are moved with compassion. And then all of a sudden, they snag some kid's lunch, some fish and some bread. And Jesus is like, we about to feed everybody here. And then Peter points out, there's a math problem, Jesus. And to which Jesus says, no, there's a Peter problem. He lifts up the bread blesses it, and then they feed a multitude. Now, immediately Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of them. They get into a boat. They are crossing a lake right now. So they're crossing the lake, and then this is where we pick up in verse 48. Mark chapter 6, verse 48. Now, speaking of Jesus, he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and struggling against the waves. Now, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, And these boys were on a boat with no Yamaha 150 (laughs) at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm just saying, I don't think I would have wanted to been on that boat. 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. Wow. He intended to go past right them. What? Okay. But when when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, listen, take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. Here's where it gets interesting, as if it's not already interesting enough, but even more so. They, they were all amazed, for they still did not understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves, for their hearts were too hard to take it in. They still didn't understand the significance of the loaves, for their hearts were too hard to take it in. Now, after they had crossed over the lake, they landed on the other side at Gennesaretat, and they brought the boat to the shore, climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they began to carry their sick to him, and they were healed. So it's interesting. So there's this moment, this uh, time where Jesus has 
fed the multitudes. He sent the disciples ahead. Uh, There's a storm. They are in the middle of a lake. Jesus comes walking on the water, gets into the boat, calms the storm. They arrive to the other side. Uh, and then it says this, the people recognized him at once. Now, this is interesting because the disciples thought he was a ghost. The disciples thought he was a ghost, and the people recognized him at once. Now, this is, this is interesting because you would think, listen, these are, these are Jesus' boys. They've walked side by side with him. This is Jesus in the flesh, and they've, they know him. But upon seeing him, man, they think he's a ghost. But then there's this other group of people that they've only seen seen a little bit of Jesus. Man, they just saw the miracle, or they follow him around, and they've, they've seen, kind of seen him at a distance, or they've experienced, but they knew who he was at once. And, and at first, you got, you got to say, well, well, the reason why the disciples mistook him is because they're in the middle of a storm, right? And everyone knows when you're in a storm, it's hard to have vision. If you've ever been driving down 17 and it starts storming, you better pray you got some Windex because them windshield wipers are as fast as they can go. And all of a sudden, it becomes really hard to see in the middle of the storm. Has anybody ever been in a storm? It's really hard to have vision for the future. It's really hard to see beyond the storm. And so, like, if I'm looking at this portion of Scripture and I'm, I'm seeing this happen, I could easily say that, listen, the disciples mistook him because they're going through something. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's dark out there. They're rowing. They're in the uh, middle of a storm. I mean, this is a scary moment for them. Jesus isn't even on the boat. Somebody's walking on the water this intense. So it's understandable. So I would say, listen, it's the storm's fault that they didn't see. But that's not what we're told. That's not what we're told. The thing is, because they get to the other side and it says, listen, they didn't understand the significance of the miracle. Their hearts were hardened. See, they had a vision problem because they had a heart problem. They had a vision problem. They couldn't see because there was something going on in their hearts. They couldn't get past their hardened hearts. And this, my friends, this is the storm that we didn't see coming. This is the storm that's more dangerous than any Cat 5, than more dangerous than any whirlwind. This is the storm that slowly creeps in day after day. This is the hardened heart that it's that offense that you take up. It's that pride that comes in. It's that, that day in and that day out of, of, of picking up things that you shouldn't pick up. And then all of a sudden, it creates, well, man, all of a sudden, your heart's really hard, and you don't even know why. It's that moment where all of a sudden, like, you find yourself getting really bitter towards your wife, and she hasn't even done anything. It's that moment where you look at that person, and you cross them at Walmart, and you're like, I don't even know why I don't like them. Right? You've done that. You know you have. And it's always at Walmart. It brings out the best in us. That's what Walmart means in the Greek. And I'm just joking, like, don't go and heresy. No, I just, no, anyway. But it, but it is. Uh, this moment, and it's, it's this slow storm that, that, that creeps into our lives. And here's the amazing part. Like, I have seen people go through some pretty crazy storms. I've seen folks go through cancer. I've seen, go, see, seen folks go through the loss of a child. I've seen people go through incredible pain, incredible loss, incredible hurt, and come out on the other side and still be strong. 
only later to be lost to offense, only later to be lost to bitterness, to anger, to pride. See, like they, 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 they went through the ER and they beat the cancer, but they couldn't beat the offense. They couldn't get over the fact that, well, they didn't shake my hand at the door when I entered. And then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves just like the disciples. We could be in the midst of a miracle and miss the meaning of it. God could be moving miraculously all around us. I mean, he takes some bread and some fish, y'all, and feeds thousands of people. And they miss it. They miss it. Now, here, here's, here's a little bit of background to this. So we're reading here in the book of Mark. Now, historically, Mark is the first of the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the original writer, older than the other ones. Uh, Matthew, Luke, John actually take portions of Mark in their writings and, and, and give Mark credit for, for different things. And so Mark, writing this Gospel, he is uh, historically one of Peter's disciples, so this isn't a, a mark that you would think, oh, he's one of Jesus' disciples and walked side by side with Jesus. No, this is someone that comes later on afterwards that has really heard Peter's story, has been a disciple of Peter, walked hand with, hand with Peter, and Peter has basically told him all of the things that has happened. And, it's, and, and the book is written sometime later after the death of Christ and his resurrection. And so you, you could imagine the moment. As Mark is writing this gospel, and Peter is telling them the stories, because remember, Mark wasn't there. Peter's telling them, listen, there was this time, there was these moments. And here was this one time where, where we were out there, and all this ministry was happening, and people were getting saved life and right and left. We were so busy, we didn't even have time to eat. I mean, he, I mean Mark's just writing this down, like, oh, man, this, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Jesus did this with the loaves and the fishes, and then he did this, and then he walked on the water. But hold on, let's, let's leave out the part where I sunk. Someone else will write about that later. So, but, but, but it's actually kind of interesting that Mark leaves out Peter sinking. Because I, I think, and, and this isn't in the scriptures, but I, I could just imagine that there's this moment where, where Peter is talking to Mark and he's, he's telling him that what's happened. He's like, I don't want the attention to be on me and what happened here, but, but here's the thing that I, I want people to understand. I want people not to miss this. In the midst of the miracles, in the midst of Jesus doing amazing things, in the midst of Jesus walking on water, this is the, this is the thing I want other people to read about and catch. I was there and I missed it. I was there. And I couldn't understand because my heart was hardened. I was right there. I was right there in that boat. I was one of those rowing. I, I, all of this was happening. All of these things that Jesus was doing. But Mark, make sure that you put this. I didn't understand the significance of the loaves because my heart, it couldn't take it in. I mean, because remember, this is sometime later. This is, this is after Peter has already messed up big time. He's chopped off ears. He's denied Jesus. Jesus has picked up the slack of it. And, and this, this, this writer tells don't miss this. And, and this week when I read this and I just thought to myself, man, if these disciples who got to walk with Jesus in the flesh, I mean, I mean it's just the amazement of that, of being able to just like high five Jesus, like Man, fist bump, like be the first fist bump of all history. 
and like with Jesus and yet miss it and yet have a hardened heart when love embodied is right there next to me. And I just thought to myself, God has that become me. In any way, Lord, has my heart become hardened? God, has my heart become hardened towards you? Has my heart become hardened towards the church? Has my heart become hardened towards my wife, toward my kids, towards my neighbors, towards anybody? Have I picked up some offense? God, have you been moving in the midst of everything and I've missed it because of my hardened heart? Because if they missed it, I know I can miss it. If they missed it right here with you in the flesh, I know it's easy for me to become bitter and cynical and judgmental. God, please. See, I could say all of the right things, and on the inside, this heart could be a stone. See, on the outside, man, all of these things are happening. Everything's going good, and still their heart was hardened. Man, the economy's good. Business is good. Things are looking up. Sales are up. Everything's doing well. The CEO's happy. The CFO's happy. The COABC is happy. Everything's good. Yeah, you've got more money in the bank account, but you've got more bitterness in your heart. And you find yourself more angry than you've ever been. And you find yourself more worried now than you were when you had nothing. And this is not the way it's supposed to work. This is not what Jesus is teaching us. This happened to the disciples. Here's the thing. When your heart's not right, you could get everything that you've always wanted and realize you have nothing. Now, there's some people in here that understand that completely. You've gotten everything that your heart's desired You've pursued success. You've pursued whatever it was in life. You pursued that new fill-in-the-blank. You pursued whatever, and you got it, and it was great for about 14 minutes. And then you were like, man, what's next? Like, this isn't, this, this doesn't, this isn't it. I thought this would be it, and this isn't it. And when your heart's not right, you'll find that you're more, you complain about the little things. When your heart's not right, you'll go on and you'll blow up at your wife because she burnt the cheeseburger. Right? You get mad at your kids because, man, they just, they did this little thing and now all of a sudden the world is falling apart. Right? You'll get home and you'll just blow up because I can't find the remote control. And then you find the remote control, and like, there's only AAA batteries. I need AA batteries. God, why are you doing this to me? You knew it. You knew the remote was going to die, and I don't have more batteries. How am I going to watch any reruns of NCIS? <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, everything becomes a meltdown, and you complain about everything, and you're frustrated about everything, and you could just wake up in the morning, and why are you so angry? I don't even know. I have nothing to be angry about. I have nothing to complain about. As a matter of fact, I've gotten everything that I've pursued, and yet I have nothing. And yet I find that the opposite is true. And actually, the Apostle Paul agrees with this later on. You could have nothing and yet possess everything. 
you could have absolutely nothing. Everything could be going wrong. Everything could fall apart. Forget not finding the remote. You can't find the TV. Everything that could go bad has gone bad, and still it doesn't matter because, man, I, I remember this time, and I think I've probably told this story before, but it's just such a, a wonderful moment in my life that I always reve- go back to and remember when I start getting in my complaining mode. is, is me and my wife, uh, I had spent a number of years on the mission field. Uh, I, I had lived in Indonesia with nothing. I was totally happy with nothing, seriously, without exaggeration. Had a backpack, two pairs of shorts, two shirts, and my surfboard for like years and was happy. It was totally cool. But then I came home and, and, and I, I met my wife and we got married and she couldn't fit my second pair of shorts. So like we had to buy stuff, right? And, and then like I had to get a real job, you know? And so I, we're married I get this job and like killing it, making tons of money, company car, company house, uh, all the bells and whistles, everything we can want to. And, and then within about two months, I, I lose my job. And they take the company car and the company house and the big expense account and everything. And we found, oh, wait a minute, we really do only have my surfboard and two pairs of shorts <laughs> and no money. And then I had to go to the people that fired me and say, hey, can I get some gas money to drive somewhere else besides here because you fired me? And they actually gave me some gas money to drive back to North Carolina. It was, it was wonderful. Thanks. Appreciate that. Company. Oh, yeah. P.S., by the way, got fired and had to be out on Christmas Day of my apartment. Yeah, cherry on top. Boom. <laughs> but here's the amazing part. Like, through all of that, it didn't matter one bit. It was this moment that it was like, girl, it don't matter because we're in love. <laughs> girl, it's me and you. And I don't care what the world, we got me and you and Jesus, and I, we don't need none of this stuff. We were happy. We were like, we're just driving. Where do you want to go? Do we want to go to Texas, or do we want to go to North Carolina? I guess we're going to North Carolina because we ain't got enough gas money to get to Texas. <laughs> I show up in North Carolina. My brother's right here playing drums. I show up on his doorstep and it's like, hey, bro, I need a place to stay. All right, come on in. Because he's family, and he doesn't have a choice because that's what family does. You show up at 3 in the morning with your new wife and a pair of board shorts and a surfboard, and they let you in for the next six months. <laughs> I wasn't in a rush. So it's true. As a matter of fact, I did it to my parents a few times in college, too. <laughs> Mom, I'm coming home. When? Right now. <laughs> I'm broke. I need something to eat. Um, but you could have nothing and possess everything. You could have everything and possess nothing. And in the midst of this, in the midst of miracles, in the midst of everything that we as a people pray to happen, like, right, we pray that God would do these kind of things. Like, God, we're going to lift this up, and you're going to multiply it, and we're going to feed everybody in Brunswick County today. We're going to do this, and we're believing you to do this. Here's the thing, and God can do it. But in the midst of him doing it, we could miss what he's trying to teach us. We, 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 we can become like Peter and have to step back later and say, yeah, I, I was there when that happened, but make sure we write this. I didn't understand. I was there. I heard the words. I saw the miracles. But I didn't understand. My heart couldn't take it in. My heart couldn't take it in. 
And, and, and so this week I, w- I was reading, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I thought, man, who's one person in Scripture that, that not just happened to the disciples, but that had this kind of heart of stone and missed what God was doing? And I couldn't think of any other, but there's, there's lots, but the best example I could think of was Jonah. Jonah was this perfect example of God doing amazing things and Jonah missing the whole purpose. So, like, when we think about Jonah, like, we think, man, Jonah and the whale. And, like, the whale is so big that sometimes we think it's the whale and Jonah. Like, no, like, it's Jonah and the whale. Like, God's trying to do something in the life of Jonah. If you don't know the story, he goes in. Yeah, if you don't know the story, read Jonah. Is I don't want to explain it. Like, you'll get some more homework for you. Read Jonah. Good book. Only like three or four chapters. You'll nail it in a few days. Anyway, so, uh, but anyway, he goes, God sends him to this city, and he says, you're going to preach to him, you're going to preach this, that I'm going to destroy him. I'm going to destroy him in like 40 days, I, I believe it is, and, and I want you to go and preach this. Jonah goes the opposite way, gets swallowed by a whale, gets spit onto the shore. Crazy, right? Like, sometimes there's a part of us like, that's so intense that we believe that that's the point of the story. Like, no, 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 there's more to it. So Jonah goes, he eventually preaches to the city. There is 120,000 people in Nineveh. 120,000 people hear Jonah proclaiming the message of God. The whole city repents. The whole city, 120,000 people, all of Brunswick County, all of Brunswick County hears the message that Jonah has given to them. It says that the king gets off of his throne. The king orders that the entire place put on sackcloth and ashes. Listen to this. This is where it gets even really intense. So everyone's just fasting and mourning and repenting. It says, put on, put on the, the burlap, put on the sackcloth and ashes, even your animals. So could you imagine, like, they're, like, putting burlap over cows and chickens and, like, little chihuahuas. And, like, that's how it started, the whole animal, dressing your animal phase. It started with Jonah. Like, I'm serious. The scriptures say this. I'm not making it up. Like, little, oh, here's an animal. Like, put some burlap on him. Like, he's repenting, too. Stop chasing the cat. And so, like, this happens. 120,000. Now, capture that for a moment. 120,000 people. Now, Scientific research, smart people, have come up with this, that the population of the entire world, that we didn't reach 1 billion people until the 1800s. So until the 1800s, all of human history, it took all of human history to reach 1 billion people. We right now live at a time where there are 7.6 billion people on the planet. 7.6 billion people on the planet. It took all of human history up to the 1800s to reach 1 billion people. Only 130 years later, in 1930, then we reached 2 billion people. If you were alive in the 1960s, there were 3 billion people. If you're in here, let me put that another way. If you're in here today and you were alive in the 60s, there was half the amount of people on the planet as there is right now. Half the amount of people on the planet in the 60s as there is right now. 7.6 billion. So they've estimated that at the time of, of, 
of Jonah, or actually this was actually at the time of Jesus, there was 300 million people on the planet. So the entire population of the planet at the time of Jesus, 300 million people, even less because Jonah happens before that. Why is that important? Because think about it. 120,000 people is a pretty good portion of the amount of people that are even alive during that time. So for 120,000 people to just instantly be destroyed would wipe out a good portion of the population. So there's a good chance that maybe some of you would not be here today. Scientifically, all of this is having 120,000 people. It would be the equivalent of 25 times the population of what it is right now. To put another way, if Jonah was to preach the same message right now to this group of people that he did then now, it would be the equivalent of 3 million people getting saved in one sermon. And we thought Peter did good when 5,000 got saved in Acts. Like, 3 million people. Like, here's where it really gets interesting. Jonah's done this. He's been obedient, right? He's done what God's told him to do. All of these people have come in, and he's angry about it. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine, like, you know, God uses you to literally save just an entire city, all, all of this place. I mean, it is the best day. It's just, man, this is huge. I mean, Billy Graham ain't got nothing on this. I mean, this is just awesome. People, it's just crazy. And, and yet he is mad about it. He's mad to the point where he goes up, he sits on a cliff, and he's just soaking, and God has to come down, and God says, and what are you angry about? What are you angry about? Do you not see the miracle that just happened? The entire place, the king of this place has gotten off the throne and repented. And you're mad? And Jonah's mad. Not, he's so just because now all of a sudden his mind, but wait a minute, I've just spent the last 40 days prophesying that you're going to destroy this place and now you've saved them all. God, I knew you would do this. I knew you would make me look bad because now I'm going to be labeled a false prophet because now I've said something and God, I knew in your grace and your mercy that you would do these to these people and now I'm going to sit on this hill and I'm going to look down and I'm going to wait for you to obey my word. That's what he was telling God. I'm now sitting here and I'm waiting for you, not for me to obey what you've told me. We saw the outcome of that. But now, I'm a, God, I'm waiting for you to obey what I've told you. Kill these people. And to which God has to give him, like, the best sermon illustration of all times. He has this plant grow up and he's loving the shade. And then he sends a swarm and he eats it and then it, it collapses and then he's mad again. And to which God's like, and again, why are you angry? You're angry about something you had nothing to do with. I brought this up. I brought, you, I brought this down. How much more so all of these souls? Can I not pour out my grace and mercy on them? And then that's how the book ends. Jonah's just like, well, well, did he repent? Did his heart go soft? I don't know. It's my story. It's your story. There's no completion. There's no, at the end of the period of, uh, of Jonah, just saying, well, this is what happened, and, and, and Jonah finally got it. No, we, we, we read later that, listen, all of these people, even closest to Jesus, we can get a hardened heart, especially when God doesn't move in the manner in which we think he's going to move. 
especially when God doesn't move on our circumstances and in our time and how we think he's going to, to obey. See, listen, you can obey and still have a rotten heart. You can experience a miracle and still have a rotten heart. You could be feeding thousands right beside Jesus and miss the real miracle. You could preach to an entire city and still miss the heart of Jesus. If I could speak with the language of earth and of angels, but not have love for others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I could understand all of God's secrets, plans, and all of his knowledge, even if I have faith that can move mountains but did not have love, I would be nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my own body, I could not boast about it. If I did not love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proudful or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongdoing. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstances. All of this. But Lucas, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened. You don't know the hurt that I've experienced by, by friends, by coworkers. You don't know why I've been hurt by the church before. I've been hurt by pastors before. I've been hurt by a spouse before. All of these things, and we can say all of these reasons why. That, that, and the truth is, oftentimes what we're doing is, just like Jonah, we're just sitting on that hill waiting for God to get even with someone else. Because after all, we've been hurt. And God said, listen, you've missed it. And, but, but God, you don't understand the pain that they've caused me. God, you don't know what they've done for me. You don't, how can I forgive them? You, you don't know. And to which I believe God responds, yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, it's the same pain that you caused me. But it's also the same pain that put me on the cross. See, I just didn't sit on a cliff and look down and wait for your destruction. See, I was, I was up in heaven and I looked down and I just didn't look down on you waiting for something bad to happen. I actually stepped into the situation. I actually stepped out of heaven and into humanity and poured out my love and compassion and died a death on the cross because you're worth it. Because that the lamb that was slain might receive the glory that's due him. See, a hardened heart will always look down but never step down. See, here in this moment, see, the, this is happening, and the disciples, they just want to send the crowds away. Like, Jesus, just, man, just, just send the crowds away. People are hungry or whatever. Just, just, just get rid of them so we could take a nap <laughs> or something. And Jesus says, no, 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 you, you feed them. I, 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 I got you here for a reason. You, all right, g- give me what you got. 
Just find what you got. Well, all we've got is this. All we've got is some bread. All we've got is some fish. But here's the thing that we don't understand. Your impossibility becomes possible when you place what you have in his hands. Your impossibility becomes possible when you place what you have in his hands. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. God, just, just it, it looks overwhelming. I, I don't know how we're going to do it. I, I, the task is too big. The task is too huge. And God's like, just, just put it in my hands. But here's the thing, like, we'll never see it. We'll never really have the vision that God wants to give us if we have a hardened heart. Hardened hearts always lead to vision problems. The mistake is to blame it on the storm. The mistake is to say, well, God, this is the pain and the hurt that it's caused in my life, and this is why I've taken this direction. And God's saying, no, no, no. Let go of that offense. Let go of that pride. I'm calling you to step out on the water. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.